I pray that you would remove all the guilt, any condemnation that anyone might be feeling because of past activity through the week. And we know that we soil ourselves living in this world. We get our feet dirty walking in this earth, Lord, and with our fallen natures. And we're so thankful for the washing and the cleansing of your precious blood. Thank you, Lord. Let us all just with joy and anticipation look to you, our Savior, to just tell you once again, Lord, how much we love you and how we appreciate all that you've done on our behalf and the wonderful plans you have for each of our lives. Thank you, Father, for being so good to us. In Jesus' name, amen. If just everybody hold tight for a minute. Um, <clears throat> one of the things as I've been studying through Leviticus here uh, that I've sort of had laid on my heart, um, you know, by the Lord, um, the necessity of recognizing our giving back to the Lord as an act of worship. You know, you know, Calvary Chapel, we sort of take a low key approach to offerings, you know, um, many Calvary chapels just have the agape box, we don't pass the plate, we could pass the plate, we may pass the plate in the future, uh, there's nothing wrong with that, <clears throat> when you're planting a church, the last thing you want to convey is your uh, greed for money or come across in that way, God's work done God's way will never lack God's support, so we're not worried about that, but we have to look at the giving of our offerings and of ourselves um, as an act of worship. And I feel as, as I've been going through this that it's sort of time we involve uh, our giving to the Lord uh, as part of our worship services. And so we're sort of changing our liturgy a little bit. We're going to have someone uh, at the end of our prayer time like now uh, come forward um, and um, ask God to bless the tithes and offerings that are given. You guys are faithful to give, and, and uh, as a church, we're just blessed and grateful to God that you are being obedient in this area. So, uh, Bob, if you'll come and pray uh, for that as our act of worship and giving, we'd appreciate that. Lord Jesus, just stand up here this morning. On behalf of this congregation, Lord, in our intentional act of worship and through our pray, our, our, our uh, tithes and offerings, and uh, Lord, I just know it's such a privilege and an honor to be able to participate in this way, not only uh, personally, but uh, with this body and, and your work, Lord. You know, everything on this earth is yours anyway. And you've, you've actually asked us to participate in your plan uh, in, in this way. And you've actually challenged us in the book of Malachi to test you in this and see if you wouldn't open the floodgates of heaven and bless us. And I personally have seen that in mighty ways, Lord. I'm amazed at who you are and your power. And we just lift up the tithes and offerings to you this morning, Lord. I know that not only are the tithes and offerings used to pay the power bill, the rent, and the water bill, and so forth, Lord. But we, we also support other ministries that, uh, uh, that desperately need your support to get your word out in the world. And, and Lord, we also 
uh, through tithes and offerings, help those that are in need uh, through benevolence, either in the body or in sometimes in the community according to certain protocols, Lord. And you've set up things to work this way. And uh, we just thank you that we can participate as a body in this way. And, Lord, I just want to lift up those to you that are not tithing and offering right now, Lord, not, not in a condemning way, but in, in a way of encouragement. I just pray that you would encourage their hearts to trust you and to reach out to you and to consider their uh, participation in this way, Lord, so that they can receive the benefit of it and the blessings of it. And, Lord, I just lift them up to you in loving kindness, Lord, and just pray for them. And, and also I'm just thankful for those that are participating and that already know the joy and the blessing of it, Lord. And we just pray for your blessing on this money that has come in uh, this week and this month, that it would go forth and produce the fruit that you have uh, designed for it to produce. And, um, Lord, just bless it and um, multiply its efforts as, as, it, as the money go out to its diff different areas. And we just thank you again for this opportunity to praise and worship you in this way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. The youth can be dismissed and um, the little people that aren't back there yet. <laughs> So turn with me in your Bibles to Leviticus chapter 3. We'll continue our way through the Old Testament. We're going to read through chapter 3 and then we're going to go to chapter 7 and read through verses 11 through 21 that correspond to to the law of the peace offering. So if you'll stand with me as I read the scriptures. <clears throat> when his offering is a sacrifice of a peace offering, if he offers it of the herd, whether male or female, he shall offer it without blemish before the Lord. He shall lay his hand on the head of his offering and kill it at the door of the tabernacle of meeting. And Aaron's sons, the priests, shall sprinkle the blood all around the altar. Then he shall offer from the sacrifice of peace offering an offering made by fire to the Lord. And the fat that covers the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails, and the two kidneys and the fat that is on them by the flanks, and the fatty lobe attached to the liver above the kidneys, he shall remove. And Aaron and his sons shall burn it on the altar upon the burnt sacrifice, which is on the wood that is on the fire as a offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to the Lord. And if his offering as the sacrifices of the peace offering is of the flock, whether male or female, he shall offer it without blemish. If he offers a lamb of his offering, then he shall offer it before the Lord. And he shall lay his hand on the head of the offering and kill it before the tabernacle of meeting. And Aaron's son shall sprinkle its blood all around the altar. He shall offer from the sacrifice of peace offering an offering made by fire to the Lord. Its fat and the whole fat tail, which he shall remove close to it, the backbone, and the fat that covers the entrails and all the fat that is on the entrails, the two kidneys and the fat that is on them by the flanks, and the fatty lobe attached to the liver above the kidneys, he shall remove. And the priest shall burn them on the altar as food an offering made by fire to the Lord. And this, his offering is a goat, then he shall offer it before the Lord. He shall lay his hand on its head and kill it before the tabernacle of meeting. 
and the sons of Aaron shall sprinkle its blood all around the altar, and then he shall offer it from his offering as an offering made by fire to the Lord. The fat that covers the entrails and the fat that is on the entrails and the two kidneys, the fat that is on the flanks and the fatty lobe attached to the river above the kidneys he shall remove, and the priest shall burn them on the altar as food, an offering made by fire for a sweet aroma All the fat is the Lord's, and this shall be a perpetual statute throughout your generations. In all your dwellings, you shall neither eat fat nor blood. Now, over in chapter 7, beginning in verse 11, the law of the peace offering. And this is the law of the sacrifice of the peace offerings, which he shall offer to the Lord. If he offers it for thanksgiving, then he shall offer with the sacrifice of thanksgiving, unleavened cakes mixed with oil, unleavened wafers anointed with oil, and with cakes of blended flour mixed with oil. Beside the cakes is the offering. He shall offer leavened bread with the sacrifice of thanksgiving of his peace offering. And it shall uh, offer one cake from each offering as a heave offering to the Lord, and it shall belong to the priest who sprinkles the blood of the peace offering. Flesh of the sacrifice of his peace offering for thanksgiving shall be eaten the same day it is offered. He shall not leave any of it until morning. But if the sacrifice of his offering is a vow or a voluntary offering, it shall be eaten the same day that he offers his sacrifice. But on the next day, the remainder of it may be eaten. The remainder of the flesh of the sacrifice on the third day must be burned with fire. And if any of the flesh of the sacrifice of the peace offering is eaten at all on the third day, it shall not be accepted, nor shall it be imputed to him. It shall be an abomination to him who offers it, and the person who eats of it shall bear guilt. And the flesh that touches any unclean thing shall not be eaten. It shall be burned with fire. As for the clean flesh, all who are clean may eat of it. But if the person who eats the flesh of the sacrifice of the peace offering that belongs to the Lord while he is unclean, that person shall be cut off from his people. Moreover, the person who touches any unclean thing, such as human uncleanness, an unclean animal, any abominable unclean thing, and who eats the flesh of the sacrifice of the peace offering that belongs to the Lord, that person shall be cut off from his people. And may God bless us with your word. Jesus' name, you may be seated. So, the purpose in reading there of chapter 7 is it gives us a little bit more detail, detailed instructions that go along with what we're going to cover here uh, this morning in chapter 3. Uh, one thing is clear as you read through these offerings and you read through this religious rites and things that we had to be observed by the people and uh, by the priest as you uh, realize that God is driving home the point of his holiness. He is teaching the people and showing the Israelites the difference between what is holy, what is unholy, what is defiled, what is undefiled, what is clean, what is unclean. These are very important things. And this would would just sort of come up before the person uh, who's making these sacrifices unto the Lord. And, and not only that, when the presence of God comes, there's a fear that comes upon us. I mean, I've been in the presence of the Lord sometimes when I, you know, it's just like, whoo, you know, there's just a, your, your, your soul, your spirit almost shudders, as it were, because 
there's, he's so otherworldly. He's beyond our comprehension. And, and his holiness, it just it grips you sometimes. And so this is important for us to... Uh, and so I took the time for us to read through that this morning so we can appreciate uh, what God is trying to communicate uh, to his people. And so now as we come to chapter 3 here, uh, we're coming to the second of the four bleeding sacrifices uh, that are offered to the Lord. The first being there in chapter 1, which we covered a couple weeks ago, the burnt offering. And here we have the peace offering, uh, and, and then, of course, in the next couple of weeks, we'll get the other two, uh, chapters 4 and 5. Now, in this particular offering, depending on what kind of translation you may have, there's different names given to the uh, peace offering. Uh, some call it a fellowship, uh, communion offering, or the thank offering, but they're all good. Uh, they're all uh, implying the same thing, essentially, is we're having fellowship with God, drawing near Him. And so uh, the idea here of the peace offering is different from the others because the emphasis is that we're actually having a meal or the Israelites would actually be having a meal with Yahweh, coming to his house, dining with him in his place and eating with your family there before the Lord. And so now you can sort of understand why in the ministry of Jesus, while he was always, uh, it was always recorded that he was eating with the sinners, See, this is what it's about with God. You know, he that opens the door, I will come in and I'll sup with him, he, sup with him and he with me. This is God's desires. We'll make our way through this. And that is something that is emphasized in the scripture. God's desire for his people uh, to be close to him, to have close communion with him. And in this case, you know, uh, what's happening with the sacrifices is that you uh, would offer uh, this sacrifice to the Lord, and he would get his the fat, as we read there, uh, be offered in, uh, upon the altar, and then the, you, the priest would get a portion, and you would get a portion, and, and it would be consumed upon the altar, and that was symbolically of the Lord eating his portion, and then, of course, the priests who represented God, they ate their portion, so they, in a sense, uh, have that, uh, again, meal before the Lord there. So it's just a wonderful symbolism that they uh, easily caught on to. And it's not, it's just difficult for us in this Western culture to think about, you know, these, the Levitical priests, they were butchers. That was their trade. I mean, they were slaughtering these animals day in and day out. I mean, it, it, you know, we're just not used to that kind of activity. I mean, look at our food supplies. I mean, let's just go down to the grocery store and get what we need. You know, there's, people in the world that don't even know where hamburger comes from. Well, it comes from the store. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just kind of funny. You just, you know, don't know those things living in the kind of culture that we do. Now, you go to th third world countries, it's pretty easy. They're still kind of back a, f a few decades in some of this processed stuff. But, you know, we're just not used to it. But the Israelite in this agrarian culture, they would have easily caught on to this. Now, I think that um, as you look at these offerings, and this one in particular, is, 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 it's really uh, offered quite often by uh, people in the Bible. And for those of you who are familiar with the book of Judges, uh, Samson's mom and dad uh, offered to the Lord, Manoah and his wife, and the angel of the Lord appeared to his wife and said, hey, look, you're going you're gonna to have a child. And, and then Noah's like, wow, where'd you meet this guy? What, who was this guy? You know, so eventually there's this meeting between Manoah and his wife and the angel of the Lord. And they bring an offering to, 
before him. And they present it and they offer it to him. And then the Bible tells us, this is chapter 13 uh, of uh, Judges. It says that the, the angel of the Lord did a wondrous thing in that he ascended in the flame of the offering. And so this is the whole idea that when this comes up, it comes up as a sweet-smelling savor to the Lord. It's an, and when, when the angel of the Lord ascended, that was uh, saying to them, your offering is accepted. Your prayers are heard, heard, and God is pleased to have communion with you and to be in relationship with you. And uh, what's funny about that is, you know, as soon as reality sets in, the what just happened, Manoah think, oh, my goodness, we're going to die. We've seen God. And his wife's a little more level-headed than him at that point. He's a little emotionally out of sorts. And she says, look, if he was going to kill us, we'd already be dead. I mean, that's a paraphrase. But uh, essentially, that's what was going on. And it's funny, you know, when we have uh, encounters with God, it, it, we, we don't always know how to respond. We, we, we are emotional creatures. We're, we don't get the full impact, but we know something's happened, and God has met with us, and we're different because of it, and we're happy because God is working in our lives. And so it's a wonderful experience there. And, and I think, you know, it's really easy to look at these offerings that we're going through and think, <clears throat> man, goodness, this is a bloody mess, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but, but there's the sim- we can't miss the symbolism. We can't miss the intent and the pictures that are there for us uh, as believers here. So, uh, again, uh, the idea of this peace offering, you know, the Lord Yahweh receiving his portion and the priests thereof and representing God, you, your portion, and then eating there with your family before the Lord resulted in joy. You sense that your offering was accepted to the Lord and you're in his house and it's just a joy that comes. And this is why uh, I pray this regularly, that as we meet together as the people of God, that we can leave after every Sunday, every Wednesday, every time we gather here for uh, as brothers and sisters, that we can say it was good to have been in the house of the Lord and to have the joy of the Lord in our lives. This is what communion with God produces. It produces joy. God loves me. I love God. He's taking care of me. He's so good to me, and I just, the result is joy in my life, and the peace offering uh, reflects that. <clears throat> so we're going to look at these instructions that were given uh, to, by, to Moses, uh, then to Aaron and his sons, and how they were to handle uh, and all the details that went with this particular sacrifice. Uh, and, of course, as we've read here, the, uh, there are three different types of animals that were uh, could be offered in this peace offering, the uh, offering from the bovine family, the cow or bull that could be offered there in one through five, and then from the flock of the sheep or goats, uh, verses six through 11, and then the goat there in 12 through 16. These uh, instructions were essentially the same for all the animals, and plus those things that we read there in chapter seven, the, the un leavened bread and the wafers and all and the wave offering that went into and we may touch a little bit upon that that's kind of a cool idea there uh, symbolically anyway but as we look at all the offerings here in the first five chapters and and they aren't necessarily in the order of importance or anything like that but there is an order to them and you know you you uh, see four and five We'll be talking about the sin offering and then the trespass offering. 
And so actually, the, when the worshiper would come, he would bring the sin offering and he would offer his sin and trespass offerings before the Lord to get things right, to make sure that his sins were covered and all. And then uh, he uh, would next would be the burnt offering, the idea of absolute surrender uh, to the Lord, to God's purposes for their lives. And then uh, would be the grain offering, you know, uh, that we covered last week, just declaring your loyal submission. So you got submission in the burnt offering, or surrender in the burnt offering, and then you got submission, loyal love, submitting to the love of God uh, there in the grain offering. And then this offering that we're talking about here this morning, the peace offering. So there's a parallel here that we shouldn't miss. You know, when we come to church and we assemble together, what's one of the first things that we do? Well, I don't know about you, but this is what I do because, well, it's just sort of how I, I don't think it's that much different, uh, but it's how I think, uh, at least to some degree. Is I, the first thing when I start to praise, I start thinking, okay, where have I blown it? <laughs> you know, where's, where's, you know, where have I crossed the line? You know, have, have I, have, do I have an attitude that's just not right? It's just sketch. I need to deal with it. Or have I been rude to somebody? You know, I, I, you know, I just need to deal with the sin or the attitude of my heart. So here we have, you know, the sin offering, dealing with my conscience uh, before the Lord, essentially. And then as we confess that and get that right, we surrender to the Lordship of God. This is, an, this is a, a conscious decision that we must make. I'm going to do things your way, Lord. Jesus is Lord, and this is represented there in the burnt offering. This is what Paul's talking about there, as I've mentioned several times, uh, Romans 12, 1 and 2. This is the idea that Paul has being a, uh, uh, of the Pharisees and being uh, a student of the Word, knowing the Pentateuch and understanding the Levitical order and all. And that's what he's talking about. Present yourselves a living sacrifice to God, holy and acceptable unto Him. It's the reasonable thing to do. So this is, again, carried over with the idea of the burnt offering. And then not only do we surrender, but then we submit because we love God. This isn't being motivated out of the law. Well, I'm obligated. Oh, I've got to go to church, you know. No, I want to go to church. I want to worship God. I love God. You know, this is this whole submission to his love. He's got loyal love towards me. The least I can do is to express my loyal love to him for taking care of me, for forgiving me for just watching over me, for having a plan for my, for goodness sake, for even creating me. I didn't ask to be born. Did you ask to be born? Of course, I'm glad they didn't vote on it and they wouldn't have voted me in, I'm pretty sure, but that's okay. God did. <laughs> and this is what it's about, you know, the grain offering there, our loyal love. And then what we'll cover today there in the peace offering. Then having done all that, knowing that my sin has been put away, it's covered, it's gone. Knowing that I've, I'm totally, you know, surrendered to him. And I'm submitting to his love. Now I can enjoy a meal with him. I can have peace with him. And just, and just contemplate his nature, his character, and the wonder of it all. I don't know about you, but I, I still get caught up with creation. I, I look at bugs and I think, look at the intricate detail of stink bugs, for example. I was looking at one of those earlier this week. I mean unreal like who takes the time to design this right 
I mean, and it's like this throughout all creation, just one thing. Look at our body. You know, I started thinking about, you know, the innards here, you know, <laughs> you know the, the entrails and the kidneys and the liver. And I'm like, and then think about your own body. You know, you usually don't think about what's inside, right? We just look at the outside, aren't we glad about that, I suppose. But, the, you know, the systems, we've got, you know, the circulatory system, we've got the air system, you know. And then we've got a brain that controls all of it. This is a marvelous piece of technology. This is what David was trying to explain. They're saying as best he could in his words, you know, I am fearfully and wonderfully made, Psalm 139. You know, it's just amazing. And that God who made me and created me wants to spend time with me. Isn't that awesome? Isn't that wonderful? And so let's look at the, uh, again, uh, the sacrifices here, verses 1 through 5. It's the sacrifice of the herd. Uh, again, typical of all of them. Could be a male or female. Uh, laying the hand on the head. What's the idea there? The idea is transfer, identification. We lay hands. We're tra- I'm, I'm identifying and transferring as it were. I'm identifying before God that I am a sinner and that this animal is a substitute for my sin. The debt that I owe Yahweh is being transferred to that animal by my laying of my hands upon that animal. It's the transfer. So, you know, the and we'll get into this a little bit later as we end here today. Uh, laying out of hands is sort of one of those basic fundamental doctrines that we should understand. When we lay hands on people to pray for them, we're, we're identifying with the need and we're, as it we're praying over them to transfer the grace of God upon their lives to bring, provide the healing. You know, well, that's kind of Pentecostal. Well, yeah, I hope so. We want the power of God. It's only the power of God that can heal and save. It doesn't come from man. And so we, we, we do that physical act, that tangible act, that symbolizes a spiritual thing that's take, to take place. And so this laying on of hands is a, an important thing. And notice here it says, killed at the door of the tabernacle. Now it says, it leaves out the door of the tabernacle, just as the tabernacle of meaning, but I don't, essentially I think it's sort of the same thing. But I like that, in the first verses here, uh, verse 2, that it's actually the door. And Jesus made a comment on this. Turn with me to John chapter 10. John chapter 10. And Jesus made a comment about the door. He's talking about the true shepherd here. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the doorkeeper opens, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. And when he brings out his own sheep, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him. For they know his voice, yet they will by no means follow a stranger, but will flee from him. For they do not know the voice of a stranger. Jesus used this illustration, but they did not understand the things which he spoke to them. And then Jesus said to them again, Most assuredly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. 
All whoever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he shall be saved and will go out, go in and out and find pasture. The thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I have come that they may have life, that they may have it more abundantly. So why do I take the time to turn there? Because this is a, a something that is in our culture. It is a global thing for that matter, that there are more than one way for men to be saved. And I tell you, with all that I can muster, that is a lie. There is only one way that man can be reconciled with the Creator God, and that is through the sacrifice of His own Son. God became a man in the person of Jesus Christ. He was incarnated, and He lived and died and offered His body a living sacrifice and shed his blood so that man's sins could be atoned for. There is salvation in none other but the Lord Jesus Christ. All other religions have a basis of their salvation based on works. You've got to do this, and then God will accept you. If you follow these rules and obey all these things, then you hope you might not suffer eternal destruction. And so these are... Very important words here. This animal was killed at the door of the tabernacle. There's only one way to reach and have communion with God. It's coming through what he has ordained and what he said. He sets the rules. He's the creator. He has the right to do that. It isn't what I think or what I would propose, but it's what God has established that matters. And so, killed at the door of the tabernacle. And the blood sprinkled then by the priest, and the offering uh, was made by fire. And of course, they would, after they would butcher the animal and collect these items from the entrails and all, that was always offered to Yahweh first. Now, you, when you think about that, you know, the fat, um, they were, you know, there was this burning of the altar already because they were, as you know, the priests continually had this burnt offering going. It was like a 24-7 thing going on. There was this burnt offering, complete surrender of the nation, as it were, to God. And so they would place on top of what was already going there this fat. Now, can you, I don't know if you've cooked many steaks or not, but if they've got fat on it, what's the result often when it begins to heat up and get hot? It begins to drip, and boy, there's a lot of smoke and fire. It's pretty crazy. And so when they, the priest would have put these things on there, it would have like, whoa, this great a lot of smoke coming out of there. You know, just an interesting thing. But that, that smoke and that offering coming up is, was a sweet aroma to the Lord, a complete, absolute surrender that was involved in it. And so sort of recapping that, there's four things, again, that were offered. The fat, the entrails, the fat that covered the entrails and what was on the entrails. And then the two kidneys and the fatty lobe were all burned on the altar. Now, so let's just sort of rehearse what they would have had to do when they went to church. Boy, do we have it easy. I mean, you know, you wonder if you ought to, you know, wear some extra clothes or bring extra clothes when you went to church back then, right? When I mean church, I mean assembly, when you assemble together. But this is from Kurtz uh, in his book, Sacrificial Worship. 
And so this were the in order to meet the conditions of this uh, particular peace offering, uh, the the person who offered had to one bring a young bull or cow, uh, a sheep uh, of either sex, a he goat or a she goat. They must offer it at the court of the tabernacle. It can't just go anywhere. It's got to be here through the priest. It's it must he must lay his hand on the head he must kill it at the door so we see that a lot of these offerings were done by the person who brought you know like the husband and family come the husband would go up representing the family as head of the family he would be the one that would do the you know the but, you know the slicing of the throat laying the hand and then you know and then i can imagine how uh, traumatic that must have been you know you you know, if you've ever butchered an animal like that, you know, and the blood begins, you know, there's a shaking and, 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 and life leaving the animal. It's just, it's pretty gruesome. But that, again, would drive home the point that of the deadliness of sin and that sin was a debt that needed to be paid. These truths would, would really be vivid in the offerer here. And so that's what he must do uh, in killing the animal at the tabernacle door. And then he would provide the three cakes similar uh, that we talked about there in chapter 7. Now, the priest, what was his job? He's right there kind of helping the guys. And here's what you do, you know, Joe, here's how you go do this. And, you know, here's the knife. And, you know, I'll lead you through this. And they would catch, their job was to catch the blood and then sprinkle it around the altar uh, was the, their job. Uh, and then lay it on the altar and then offer up these cakes and, and things as well um, and then do this heave offering that we read about there in um, chapter 7 and so they would wave the breast of the animal uh, backwards and forwards and uh, its leg <laughs> uh, as a heave offering to the Lord and the idea of consecrating it to the Lord and then the priest would take a portion of that himself uh, for him to eat and the other priest and then they would return the rest of the cakes and the loaves to the people for them uh, to feast on. So that's sort of how uh, that all, whole thing sort of rolled out there. So the idea of the wave offering. Now, we don't, uh, probably haven't heard a whole lot about that, but it's, uh, what was symbolic about that essentially was that as you're waving it, you know, back and forth and up and down, you're sort of uh, proclaiming the sovereignty of God, that he is ruler of heaven and earth and everything in it belongs to him. You're sort of acknowledging that in the wave offering. And that's, that's an important thing. Uh, it, it's an eternal kingdom. It's boundless. It reaches to the heavens. It reaches to the depths of the earth. And everything that's in it belongs to him. And so this is sort of what was there in that. So again, verses 6 through 11, the same thing applied, male or female, and then uh, the same thing with the goat, verses 12 through 16 we have there. And the last verse is very important here, or, uh, 16, 17, uh, mostly 17. Um, the idea of this perpetual statute that they were not to, the Israelites themselves were not to partake of the fat nor the blood. Now, we know that there's, the life is in the blood, and no man has a right to that life. Only God. He produced the life. He originated life. He is life. He's the, the giver of life. 
and man has no part in that. That sovereignly belongs to God. And the fat as well, that's the choicest. You know, that little fatty lobe there, that seemed to be like the special part, you know. And God always gets the special part. The highest quality always belongs to God. And so these things were forbidden uh, by the Israelites to partake of. And we're not allowed to, to have any of that. So, uh, again, we sort of mentioned this last week in chapter 3 of uh, Malachi. This is what was going on with the exiles who came back from Babylon, and they were reestablishing, rebuilding the temple and reestablishing sacrifice and all, and they weren't conducting themselves in a holy manner. They had not, were not discerning the holy and the unholy, the defiled and the undefiled, etc. They, they just were sloppy in their approach to God, which is something that we're capable of doing ourselves. When the things of God become so familiar, we can easily become a little cavalier with things that, are, that we shouldn't. And we should always have the fear of God and reverence in our minds when we approach the holiness and the holy God that we love and serve. And so uh, God confronts them through Malachi. He said, will a man rob God? And they say, well, how are we robbing you? And he says, well, in tithes and offerings and the sacrifices. And so he calls them out on this. because It's not because God needs the sheep. He doesn't need the beef. It's, gonna, it's just being consumed on an altar. It's the heart. It's the, the attitude of what he knows is required for people to have communion with him. And those things must be dealt with us for us to come into a deeper, closer relationship with. And that's what God desires. Remember Jesus at the Last Supper. He said in Luke's gospel, I desire, with great desire, I desire to have this with you. Twice it's repeated there, this desire, this great desire that Jesus had to eat this Passover meal with his disciples. Do you, if you get nothing else from this sermon this morning, understand that God is insanely in love with you and he cares so intensely about your life and your needs and everything about you and he loves you. And he wants to be near you, but he, he has to restrict himself because of his nature. We, are, we aren't capable of handling all that he is. And that's why we're going to get a new body in heaven. And we all say amen to that, right? <laughs> so this is what was going on there. And the thing about giving is... There's a negative side to giving, I think, that happens is we are consistent in giving back to God a portion of what he gives to us. It sort of helps crucify that selfish part of my nature. I'm by nature, I'm selfish. I want what I want. I want to keep what I want. Fact is, children, uh, this is probably one of the hardest things that <laughs> children have to learn, <laughs> is learn how to give. And, of course, some people never quite grow out of that, and they become adults they are still selfish. They just never learn how to give. But we learn, uh, if, if we do learn that and we begin to practice it, we do understand what Jesus was talking about, more blessed to give than to receive. And there is no truer statement than that. And so, again, learning is one of the hardest things that children have to do, and you know, you can watch little kids playing with their toys. They can have a whole heap of toys right beside them. And one of the siblings comes around with nothing in their hands, empty-handed, wanting just one of the toys, and it's no off-limits mine. 
Like you can't even begin to play with the one you're playing with, let alone the whole pile that's behind you. But I don't care. I don't want to lose what's mine. I want to keep what's mine. It's, it's just so you can translate that into adulthood, you know, like mine. So by giving, and this is, I think, why the Lord set it up this way, to teach us to die to that selfish need. And that's sort of the, the negative side of it. And this positive side of again mentioned is that we receive the blessing and the joy. There is a joy that comes upon your life. This is what it, giving is an act of worship. That's what it is. And if we don't give back, we're lacking something that we can't really grasp in our worship. When you begin to do it, you will understand it. And it's, it's a wonderful thing to, to be part of. I know in my own personal experience, and this is the positive side as well, I know that when financial times, tough times hit, because they, it, we just have this ebb and flow in our lives. Sometimes we're, we're just fine and all, you know, the budget's great, right? And then there are other times like, whoa. I don't know how this is going to work out. You know, you get those times. It happens to everybody. Well, except for maybe Bill Gates, but, I mean, people like that, right? You know, but just, we're just normal people, right? But one of the things that happens in my, has happened in my own life, when I know that when the crunch time comes and things are really tight, I, my faith soars because I have this confidence. I have been obedient to the Lord, and I'm giving back a portion, and when tough times hit, I know and I trust, hey, I don't even sweat it. You know what? That's not my problem. That's God's problem. He promised that he would take care of me. He promised to meet my need. You know what? I've never been disappointed with God's provision, ever. It's wonderful. And so that's the wonderful part of it, the, the faith that soars in your spirit. Now, I want you to turn with me to Hebrews. That's where, that's where I want to close. And this is, you know, some of us are familiar with this book. Some of us like, well, what's going on here? You know, this is really heavy-duty stuff in the book of Hebrews, and it is. And, but there's some things that are important. I would, in fact, I would encourage you uh, this week to just sort of read through portions of this letter to the Hebrews. It was uh, the writer here wrote to the Hebrew Christians, those who had accepted Christ. You, you know there's a time between when Jesus was crucified until 70 A.D. that the sacrificial system continued to go on. They were still offering the bulls and the goats. Even though the veil in the temple was torn, that 30-foot veil, four inches thick from top to bottom was ripped, saying the way into the holy place is now open for all who would believe in the person of Jesus Christ. But they're still going on with these rituals. So, you know, you roll the clock ahead 30 years, they're being harangued by their Jewish brethren, their relatives. Hey, you know, it's okay to believe in Jesus, but you can till still sacrifice. It's okay. So the writer's writing back to them, uh, warning them about uh, the danger in going back into that Levitical system. And he goes through the superiority of Christ's sacrifice and his high priesthood and mediation, etc. And he lays out the intent of the old system in verses, or chapters 7 through 10. And he explains how these things uh, were f all fulfilled, really, in the person of Jesus Christ. And we actually now have a new priesthood, hallelujah, in the person of Jesus Christ, after the order of Melchizedek, a priesthood that had no beginning, 
and a priesthood that has no end. That's pretty, pretty interesting to me. In chapter 8, we have uh, Christ as the high priest of the new covenant. We have Jesus as the minister of the sanctuary, the sanctuary made without hands in the heavens. We also have in the person of Christ the mediator. He's the go-between between you and me and God Almighty. And so we know, according to chapter 8 there in verse 5, that the earthly tabernacle, the one that the Israelites would go to, was actually a replica of the one in heaven. He was, God told Moses, now look, pay attention, son. I want you to make this tabernacle that you see here, this vision I'm giving you of the one that is here in heaven, I want you to go back and, and construct it exactly according to this blueprint that I've shown you here in the mount. And that was what Moses did. So the earthly was a replica of what was there in heaven. And that's important for you and I to grasp that. And so instead of offering the blood of goats and bovine and everything on the, uh, the altar, the altar in heaven received the Lamb of God. The blood of Jesus Christ was applied for our forgiveness and atonement. See, the new covenant is the greatest covenant ever established. It will never be succeeded by anything else because it's complete. It's perfect. It's all fallen mankind would ever need. Religion doesn't save anybody, but the relationship that we have through the covenant of Jesus Christ does. In fact, it's the only thing that will save. The problem with the Old Testament is it could not remove the guilt conscience. It could not remove the problem with the conscience in regards to dead works, but the new covenant does because we have something better, something stronger, something more complete. The old covenant living under the law never allowed anybody to grow and mature. The wonderful thing about the new covenant is that you and I can grow and mature in our faith. We can go from being babies in Christ, spiritually speaking, to becoming young men, young women in the faith. And then we can eventually become mothers and fathers of the faith. This is a spiritual maturation that takes place through the new covenant. How wonderful it is that the blood of Christ removes the stain forever and cleanses the conscience forever. And we can approach God with boldness and with confidence, knowing that we are approaching the throne of grace because of His mercy given to us in the person of Christ. This is, these are wonderful things to talk about, wonderful things to contemplate and believe and know that they're true. And so the thing about the new covenant, this is, this is really will help us understand and appreciate the new covenant by remembering what Jesus' last words on the cross, what were they? It is finished. It's done. Once and for all. Hallelujah. And that's why it's impossible for people to be saved by any other means. It's an insult to God that you think that man could develop some religious system by which he could approach God and, and sort of move into heaven, as it were, on his own terms. I mean, somebody needs to get a grip here. I mean, you are not reading the Bible. You are leaning, a person like that is leaning to their own understanding and the, their own vain imagination at best. 
Buddha, smart as he may have been, cannot save you by his wise sayings. Can't be done. Can't remove the guilt that plagues the human soul and spirit. Muhammad and Islam, you know, this is real popular to say, I know that, cannot save anyone from eternal punishment through their good works. Good works cannot save you. The wrath of God, in fact, abides on everyone who rejects the sacrifice of Christ. The debt has not been paid. The debt can only be paid through the person of Jesus Christ and his shed blood. This is the truth. This is why Peter proclaimed in Acts 4.12, there's salvation in none other. For there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. How many times does it have to be said for it to be true? And so, for those who would disagree with me, your argument does not lie with me, but with the Word of God and what Jesus has put down in the Gospel. Joseph Smith and his followers, the Mormons, and all the good works performed by them who obey his teachings cannot be saved by those good works. I know the Mormons think they're Christians, but they're actually following the fallen angel Moroni. So what's the point of Hebrews? And we'll close with this. What was he driving at? What was he trying to tell these Hebrew Christians that was so important that he went into all this detail explaining the history of the Levitical order and all? And how things were fulfilled and better in the new covenant under Christ. Well, I love it. It's, it, it, it's it. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19 through 25. And this is where I want to leave us this morning because this is all about having peace with God and enjoying it. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way which he consecrated for us, through the veil, that is his flesh, having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. Let us, as it were, not forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. The idea is God wants you, as I said before, He wants me to draw near. He wants everyone in this room and every Christian that exists on this planet to draw near Him. It's God's desire that He be so close to you. And we can do that with full assurance. And then we also need to hold fast. Don't take in the sail, literally. You know, we're, we're in a sailboat, and we use the sails, and if the sails are empowering us, you know, you can use that as an, an analogy of we have the Holy Spirit. He's empowering us. Hold on to that. Don't take in the sail. You'll begin to drift aimlessly. Your life will be without purpose. Hold on to the hope that we've been given in Christ without wavering. And then 
coming to the body of Christ and body life, which is so critically important. That's why we preach fellowship. Three things that a believer needs. He needs the word of God. He needs prayer. And he needs the fellowship of the saints. Those are the three things that are vital for you and I to grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ. And to grow to maturity as fathers and mothers of the faith. Why are we, and we realize that we're fighting against something. We're fighting against our own fallen nature, which is like Satan, really. It's fallen. There's nothing good there. There's nothing in my flesh that's redeemable. That's why I had to be born again. That's why you need to be born again. You receive a new nature from God. So we're fighting against the flesh, our fallen nature that's antagonistic toward God. But then we also have the world, the society in which we live in. It's anti-God. Pleasure. Hey, yeah, let's go for that one, you know. Excitement. Indulge the flesh. All the things that are there for us to, you know, absorb, you know. Looking and seeking fulfillment from the world. It can't happen because we're a spirit being. And only God can satisfy the deep longings within our beings. And then lastly, the enemy is a demon, a devil. The devil himself hates you. These are the enemies. The world, the flesh, and the devil can only be fought as we're in the word. We're in prayer. And we're in fellowship. Speaking of this peace offering here, This is the ultimate goal that God wants us to have. Though we live in a chaotic body, that there's a war going on within us lots of times. We're not at peace. And though we live in a fallen world that is absolutely chaotic, God has promised to give us peace. My peace I give to you, my peace I leave with you. Not as the world gives, Jesus said, but peace from God. Now, there's two kinds of peace that the Bible does talk about, and we'll end with this. There's peace with God that comes through sacrifice. You and I are no longer enemies of God because we've made peace to the blood of the cross. Hallelujah. I have peace with God. I'm no longer at war. I don't resist Him. I'm surrendered. I'm submitted. But what you and I need experientially as we live day to day, so important that we have the peace of God. Peace with God, yes. The peace of God, so critical. It's the peace of God that passes all human understanding. Then in the midst of going through the chaotic day situation, situations of life, I have no idea why God would allow this to happen. Yet in the midst of that, God has promised to give me peace. The peace of God. Do you have peace with God this morning? Are you born again? Have you received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? If you haven't, you need to do that. And it's so simple to do. Lord, I acknowledge that I'm a sinner. And I need forgiveness. I've got guilt in my life. My conscience bothers me. I'm asking you to forgive me. Please forgive me. Please come into my life. Give me your spirit. I want to be born again. You pray that prayer. You say that to God in sincerity and ask him. And your forgiveness is instantaneous. You are adopted into his family. Now, living the life is quite another thing. That's why you need the power of the Holy Spirit. You need God to fill you. You need to experience peace of God. God said it. I believe it. That settles it. Okay, I don't know how this is going to work out, but Lord, I trust you. And 
this is just how we live our lives from day to day. And one day, we won't have to fight this fight anymore, will we? We're going to be transferred from this planet to heaven. We're going to fly away. I don't know about you, but the sooner the better. <laughs> I'm ready. Are you ready? Shall we stand and close? Father, thank you for my brothers and sisters. And I thank you for your word, Lord. Without it, we have nothing, Lord. We would be just like one who beats in the air, aimlessly struggling, trying to find our way and groping in the dark. But Lord, you've sent light and you cause us to see and understand. And we're just so grateful, Lord. And Father, we realize, as with Paul, that we have not apprehended what you've apprehended us for, and you've got a lot more to do in our lives, so we dare not become complacent or think that we've arrived in any way, Lord. We have not. Please forgive us from such arrogance, Lord, and lead us in the path of righteousness, Lord. Order our steps. Draw us unto yourself, Lord. Make us ready for heaven and fulfill all your good pleasure in our lives. Bless my brothers and sisters with peace. May you be gracious to each and every one here. May you go before each one of us, Lord. May your light just shine upon everyone. In Jesus' name, amen.